The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And you're welcome back to The Last Word. It's Ian Guider in for Matt today. Well, Sinn Féin have been topping opinion polls pretty much since the last general election. If their support holds up at the next election, Mary Lou MacDonald, the leader of Sinn Féin, could well be in line to be Taoiseach. But who is she and what does she believe in? It's the subject of a new book by former TD, former minister and journalist Shane Ross. It's called Mary Lou MacDonald, a Republican riddle. Shane Ross, you're very welcome to The Last Word. Thank you very much, Ian. It's nice to be back. It's great to see you again. Shane... What possessed you, of all people, to write a book about Mary Lou MacDonald? You'd hardly be fellow travellers. No, we're not fellow travellers at all, but we're f- we, we certainly were up to the, this book. We, we had a very good relationship, and uh, we were we were on the periphery of calling each other friends, I'd say, even at that, that stage. Um, politically, no, we wouldn't have been fellow travellers over the years, but that doesn't stop me writing a book. Why would I write a book about her? Well, she's the most interesting politician in Ireland by a long way at the moment. She's quite fascinating, partly because she's kind of the most likely next Taoiseach. But of course, she'd be the first woman Taoiseach. She'd be the first Sinn Féin minister ever. Uh, and also, you know, that she's an important figure in, in the north of Ireland and in the south of Ireland. That means she's, she's the kind of go-to person to, get, to gauge Republican opinion in the whole island. So she, she's absolutely key at the moment, and she is probably going to be in, in the top position down here. And she's magnetic. She's charismatic. She's mysterious. There are a lot of things we don't know about her. So that's that's why I wrote a book about. Tell us a little bit about her background. Well, that's one of the mysteries that people wanted sorted. You know, what was she like as a child? Where did she go to school? What did she do? The big question about Mary Lou is how someone of her background, which was well off, uh, well in living in a well off area, uh, South Dublin, pro- she was from. South Dublin. Sorry, yes, South Dublin. Uh, who went to a private school, private convent, fee-paying school, uh, lived, in, lived in Rathgar, went to Trinity College Dublin, had a pretty privileged education and background, uh, had, 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 had a fairly wild father and a very, very kind of uh, solid mother. And she, at school, I'd just say this, that she, she, was, she was pretty good, but she wasn't a superstar. You know, she would have been when 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 she when she went to uh, Trinity, she would have got adequate points to get her in, but uh, nothing nothing really good when she went to Trinity College. Uh, her degree was a two one. It was you know she was she nothing was, wrong with that. Yeah, it's not well. It's yeah, but it's not kind of super bright or super industrious. But she she was she was a hard worker. All her teachers speak highly of her. They liked her. Uh, again, not a superstar, but solid. Worked hard, and. Uh, and she was, but but the thing was, yeah, she 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 wasn't privileged, but she had a very good education indeed, and she lived in an area which was extremely, you know, prosperous. It doesn't sound like the background of somebody that would espouse traditional Sinn Féin views. That's the point. the The big mystery, the first mystery, is how did someone with that background? And remember, she lived in the constituency which has never elected a Sinn Féin TD. That's maybe the best way of giving an example of that. Uh, the South Dublin. It was Dublin South at the time. So you could be pretty sure that uh, her neighbours weren't voting that way. They would have been voting probably Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil. Uh, so, so, so what, was the, what was the second part of the question? Sorry. I was asking, how did she find, how did she become a, become a Republican, given that background? Well, that, you know, the question here is, what turned her into a Republican? Was she genuinely a Republican? You have to ask that as well. Because 
her, she explains it. She says, if she's ever asked this, that the hunger strikes, when Bobby Sands died, had a very, very uh, deep effect upon her. And that, but at that, at that time, she was age 12. It was 1981. And that's fair enough. I think they had a, a very profound effect on a lot of people. And she said she calls it what what it, she calls it her Damascus moment. That's fine, and I there's no reason to disbelieve her. But there's a strange gap there between her Damascus moment and the time when she became a committed and open Republican. And the gap is 17 years. And why is that strange? It's strange because if she, if if she did have that Damascus moment, and I'm not saying whether she did or she didn't, you would have thought that she'd have had the opportunity to express this Republican conviction, which she had, not just at school, at secondary school, where she was a great debater, by the way. She was a really good debater, but also at, at university, where, where, where Trinity College Dublin, where she was, had Sinn Féin Cummins, had Fianna Fáil Cummins, and she did join Fianna Fáil in the end, but not then, much later. Uh, but she never got involved in politics at that time at all. But over time, people's views change, both economically, politically, culturally, people change over time. I mean, Shane, at one point in time, you were a journalist, a stockbroker, and then a politician, so people do yeah. change as they, as they get older. Yeah. Uh, no, that's fair. That's, that's fair comment, but there was... She was apolitical. That was what's so strange. For someone who had these very strong convictions later, and apparently at the time of when she was 12, she seems to have been utterly apolitical, inactive at university, not interested in any political causes whatsoever. And then suddenly, Johnny Finnefall in about 1997, 98, where she was, you know, 17, 17 years later. We've all done things at 17 and 18. <laughs> yeah, she had a great time. She obviously had a very good time. When she's asked about university, she says, you know, she, she had a good time. She, she did attend her studies and the lecturers say that she was, she was, she was you know, a, a good pupil. Yeah, but she had plenty of time and she didn't use it to be political. And then, then she got married in 1996. She wasn't, she wasn't involved in politics before that either. And then she started getting involved. How did she rise up the ranks of Sinn Féin so quickly? Because at that time, there were people coming through, people with a much mm. greater Republican background, both yeah. in Northern Ireland and down here. It's a good question. Again, it's a, it, the, the, the answer to that is undoubtedly she was spotted. Undoubtedly, she was prefer, given preference by Gerry Adams and by Martin McGuinness. And she was, she was destined for very, very, very high things very, very early. She went in, in in around 2000, and there's a doubt about when she went in because there are different stories come out about that. But she went, let's say, she went in around the turn of the century. And within a few months, she was photographed with Adams and other people who were high up in Sinn Féin in Unpublic. In, and the message there was, we got a, we got a, a good new recruit here, and she's going places. And from then on, she was promoted up the ranks very, very quickly. She went to the Yard Caller in 2001. She was hardly a year. Uh, in Sinn Féin at that stage, unopposed. She then, in 2003, managed to get the nomination for Europe uh, and to get elected for Europe, which was extraordinary. They put the whole, whole weight of the Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin machine behind her and got through. But she was a great candidate. She was a great person. And then in 2005, she uh, she became chair, chairperson of the party, uh, unopposed again, which meant that there was people on, from on high saying, this is the one we want in, and she got in. 2009, she was made vice president of the party, unopposed again, and then she waited a long time for Adams to go, but in 2018, she got in as leader, unopposed again. She was never opposed for any of the positions she sought. Is she comfortable with the Northern Republicans and their image? I mean, obviously, it comes, if you go back to the Bobby Story funeral, and that, yeah. that is accounted in the book, is she mm. comfortable with how Northern Republicans behave at those funerals? Does it tarnish the image down here? Is she conscious of it? 
I think my, my instinct is not comfortable with that because Mary Lou is doing a hugely successful balancing act, which is being very, very interested in bread butter issues down here, talking about the constitutional question. But if you go to the if you go to the Ardesh, or, or which I did, the Sinn Féin Ardesh, you won't see her hanging about with any of what they call the hard men. She's not comfortable being photographed with them. She doesn't get herself photographed with them as as much as possible. So what she has to do is play that. I'm a, I'm a I'm a good middle class, solid, responsible person down here, and yet win the support of those in Northern Ireland who are more militant on the Republican issue. And she does very effectively. And part of her campaign for the leadership. Uh, and it, there was a campaign, but it was kind of silent and underhand, was convincing those people in Northern Ireland whose support she needed that she was that she's basically, she was one of them. And she carried a lot of coffins, she went to a lot of funerals, she went to a lot of commemorations quietly to convince them of that, and she was successful. I did a, I did a lot of work in Northern Ireland for the book. Did you speak to many of the, and I'll, I'll use the phrase, hard men of Northern Ireland? Well, I spoke to quite a lot of hard men. Uh, there was an attempt to kind of close me down and not to talk to me at all. But I did talk to... to and the reason that would be, Shane, is a lot of people would remember some yeah. of the coverage in the Sunday Independent yeah. where you were a columnist for many years. Yeah, and, and they'd be right to remember that. I mean, that, that's fair enough. But let me say that was 1980s, 90, early 1990s. And nobody had a better relationship with fin she, Sinn Féin in the later years than I had. I had, a, as a minister uh, in the last government, I horrified some of my colleagues because I was welcoming Sinn Féin um, support for some of my measures, including the judges, uh, including, including the drink driving bill. And I developed a really very, very good relationship with them. And I, I, but I horrified my, my, my ministers more by the fact that I would receive delegations from Sinn Féin because they were elected representatives. So what applied in 1985-90, I came a long way and, and I think they came a long way as well. When you when you were in the Dáil and when you were looking at the Sinn Féin benches, did you ever think you would be sitting opposite both Sinn Féin TDs but also a Sinn Féin front bench that are possibly, probably, maybe even more than likely to form the next government? I don't think so until maybe at some stage we realised that they were the coming party, those of us who are sitting in opposition, opposition benches, that they were coming the party, you know, and that they probably would be a minority government at some stage involved in that. We thought that would happen. But nobody anticipated the extraordinary rise of Sinn Féin in the last election. Uh, and that has to go down to Mary Lou to a to large extent. And the, the position they're in the polls now was, was certainly not expected. I mean, the, the likelihood at the moment now is that we're going to have to uh, recognise the fact that they're going to be the lead party in the next government. That is that is what we've got to accept. You know, it may not happen, but it's a real it's 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 a real possibility. What is it about Mary Lou in in constituencies across the country that perhaps wouldn't have never have returned a Sinn Féin TD ever before are now looking at Mary Lou and seeing her as a potential Taoiseach, but also like the policies? How has she gone about making Sinn Féin normal? Well, because she's normal herself. She's a she's a very she's she's a kind of normal person. She says normal things. She's she's a, she's a kind of she's absolutely and totally. I mean, the, the first words in the book are Mary Lou never wore a balaclava, and that's really important. She never pulled a trigger. She was never never involved in any of that sort of stuff. Now that's not you know that can't be said for everybody else in Sinn Fein, uh, but she's leading them from a position of complete cleanliness, being a lily white in that in that in that case. So no one can point the finger at the, 
I don't know about that. She's also, you know, she's she's kind of middle of the road on all policies. She doesn't use the kind of ism words very often. She doesn't, you know, she believe in. Sorry. What does she believe in? Well, she says she's a Republican. If she's really pushed on it, she'll say she, she'll work, she'll she'll issue the she'll talk about the socialists and she'll use the S word. She doesn't like using it very much. She's very practical, very pragmatic, hugely keen on the oratorical benefits of things. Very, very good in opposition in getting up in the dial and opposing things. She's never been tested in any kind of governmental position. That's something which we should we should realise when we're when we're thinking about her. She's never been in in any ministry at all. She's been in opposition really all her life. She was in Europe. She was in the Doyle. Now she's leader of the opposition. She hasn't got. She hasn't get, been given the chance, and it's a risk, but it may not be a dangerous risk to to actually take over take over government and make big decisions which matter. When you see her in the Doyle mm. and she's debating with either Taoiseach Michal Martin or Tansha Lee of Radker, and some of the arguments get quite nasty. Some of them get quite vicious. Hmm. But could you see her actually even espousing some of the Finnegal or Finnegale policies? Yeah, I could. I think she and Pierce Doherty and a lot of her other people are very practical people. Uh, and I think they want, you know, people in opposition, I've, been, I've done it, make claims, make demands, uh, believe they could happen. The moment they get into government, they just find, no, no, it can't be done immediately or as fast. But they're in government, which is what they want to be. That's that's the first thing for them. Then they'll sort out the problem of, 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 you know, delaying on their promises. I can see her very easily compromising with both those parties without without too much difficulty. You wrote in the book that you approached Mary Lou MacDonald and met her about contributing to the book yeah. and taking your questions. You said she went off and would consult people and mm. have discussions about yeah. it. Who do you think she went off and consulted? I don't know because nobody ever told me that they had consulted her. I think her family anyway. Uh, I presume she consulted her political advisors as well as to the advice of it. You know, Sinn Féin liked controlling the message. They, they won't have liked the idea of somebody independent writing the story of their leader, for, to whom they, you know, who, who, whom they put in a very, very strict kind of, um, uh, who they very strictly insist on, you know, having an image, a certain image of her. Uh, and they won't have liked the idea of someone creating maybe something different from the Sinn Féin narrative. And I presume that she talked to her advisors, her press advisors and all those people as well. Uh, and I presume she talked to members of the party and, and she talked to the new guard, the old guard. I imagine she talked to absolutely everybody about it. But I know what you're hinting at. You're saying, is, did she go and talk to the old guard and they say, don't do it? Um, I think if they had said, don't do it, she wouldn't have done it. Uh, but what I did find was that they 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 all put, pull the shutters down on me themselves. Yeah, and the reason I ask that question is, and it will be something that will be tested at the election, yeah. is there still an old guard that people fear is still pulling the strings in Sinn Féin? And is that the thing that will cost them votes? Well, I, I think you're talking about an army council. Yeah, well, if you look at what the commissioner says, the commissioner says there is still an army council. That's what the Garda Commissioner's last, last words on it. He didn't say in which form it was. Uh, if you look at what the PSN, I said, now this was two or three, two years ago, they say the same. If you look at what, in the book, other people have said, like the unionists obviously say there still is some form of an army council, but Colm Eastwood, who's an SDLP guy, said, yes, there is one. Nobody's suggesting that it's going to be an armed insurrection, but they are suggesting that there's a question marks to be raised about money and about other things like that. And just very do briefly, do you think she is going to be the next Taoiseach? I think it's, yeah, I think it's easily the most li- likely result of the next election that, that she will emerge as Taoiseach. Yeah, it's, it's probable.
Shane Ross, author of Mary Lou MacDonald, a Republican riddle. Thank you very much for joining us on The Last Word. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today is-